Wow, it's big stuff, isn't it? Life, death. Impacting for many, many years. I want to commend to you um, the Reflect team. They are an outstanding group of men and women. Um, those that do counselling and serve and have been doing it for many, many years, but also the prayer support team. Um, and as we've heard, uh, Sheila, uh, who's done it for 25 years and done an absolutely incredible job. If you want an example um, of, of uh, godly leadership, um, faithful service, passion in pursuing God, passion in pursuing vision, have a look at Sheila. She, she's an outstanding um, example um, to us all. And I do want to commend you. This evening, what we're going to do, we've got, um, we've got half an hour left, but I'm going to take, um, I promise, I'm going to take 20 to 25 minutes um, to look at a passage in 1 John. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there. We're going to work our way through the passage. We're going to look at um, five particular points as we do that. Um, and then I'm going to ask Janelle to come back up, and we're going to respond together um, in worship to God. So if you have got your Bible, would you please turn to 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to read through to chapter 2, verse 2. And we are going to look at the precious promise of forgiveness. We're going to be looking at the precious promise of forgiveness that is available to everyone and needed by everyone. And we're going to work through what it says um, in 1 John. Let me read the passage to you, um, and then I'll pray, asking for God's assistance, and we'll go from there. So this is John, the disciple of Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus for three years. He knew him. Um, Close up and personal, this is what it says. This is the message we have heard from him, that is Jesus, and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins. And not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Just going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your Bible. Lord, and I ask as I uh, communicate this evening, would you please enable me to do it well? I ask you, Holy Spirit, would you help me to keep in step with you? But then would you take the words that I say and make them live 
in our hearts, I pray. Come and have your way with us, I ask you. Would you overrule in all things we pray? Amen. What we find um, in these verses is we find um, instruction on who God is. And we also find... Should try this one. Is that better? Excellent. We find instruction on who God is, and we also find instruction on how to approach him. And I just want to look at this passage under five particular points. The first thing we notice, if you're reading at that verse, those verses through and you're following me, we find, first of all, number one is that God is light. When John came to describe what God is, he chose to start by saying that he is light. This is the message that we heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. It's, a, it's an interesting description of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it actually says that God dwells in unapproachable light. There is something about him that, um, uh, which, I will, which I will describe that, that makes him um, uh, unapproachable for us as human beings if we do not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We don't often dwell on the fact that God, we don't, often, we don't often dwell on the fact of God and his unapproachable holiness. So when we're looking and we're saying that God is light, there are two aspects to it. The first one is that God is totally true. Everything about him, everything that he says is the truth. There is no shadow in what he says. There will never be a time when we get to a point in future, in the future, where we think, oh, what God said was not true. There will never be a superior wisdom that comes out. No, the God that we worship, he is light, he is true. There is no shadow in what he, he, he says. There is no untruth in him. The second thing to do with God being light is his absolute purity. He is holy. And the reason actually we as human beings cannot approach God, his unapproachable light, is because we are not. We are not born holy. We're actually born in sin. That is what the Bible says. He is holy. He has absolute moral purity. We see it in the Ten Commandments. We see it in so many different verses in the New Testament. He's so different to us. He is the source and definition of light. And as creatures, as those who are created, we find definition from God, not the other way around. Throughout history, men and women just like me and just like you, we've always wanted to paint a picture of God that suits our own desires. We've always wanted to reinvent God to suit ourselves. But we, that's not what God is like. God is defined by Scripture. God is defined by the Bible. It says, He is light. Absolute moral purity. Total holiness. 
We're not to worship a God made of our own hands or in our own imaginations. We are to worship a God as described in the Bible. And it says there, the God we come to, he is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And who we are and who we are to become flows from who God is. So as we look at four practical steps after this first one, what we find is it flows from the fact that God is light. If God weren't light, we wouldn't need to be. But he is light. And so it defines and describes who we are and who we are to become. The second thing I notice from uh, this passage in 1 John is that as those that follow Jesus, so if you're a follower of Jesus, John is very, very clear in verse 6. He says, don't continue in sin. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, this is in verse 6, while we walk in darkness, I mean, he's pretty strong here. He says, we lie. And do not practice the truth. So if we have come to Jesus Christ and put our trust in him, this isn't a one-off event, you know, a nice experience that then we just carry on and live as we were. It's actually the start of an ongoing relationship with God. I mean, how awful would it be if upon marrying Chloe 14 years ago, I said, well, to be quite honest, I've always wanted to experience getting married. And I'm particularly looking forward to the wedding night. So we will, you know, we're going to get married. We're going to have that experience. But after that, I don't work it out in my life. No, no. When I got married, it was the start of a relationship, a whole new beginning with Chloe. My life didn't carry on as it was before. It's changed. Why? I've got married. I've started. I've entered into a new relationship. When you became a Christian, you entered into a new relationship. Things change on the back of that. It started, there was an encounter with God. It changed your life. But from there, you're working it out. God is light, the one you got joined to. He is light. And then we spend the rest of our time working out what is it to be light for us. If we say we have fellowship with God, if I say I am going on with God, that I have got this deep relationship with God, yet I am continuing to practice sin, and I'm not repentant for it, and I don't really care, John says he's very, very clear. He says you lie and you do not practice the truth. You and me, we are called to an extravagant, wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ. It started the moment you gave your life to him and we spend the rest of our time here on earth walking deeper and deeper with him, which means we take things off of darkness and we are clothed in glorious and wonderful light. It affects how I speak. It affects how I view sex. It affects, it affects what I do at work. It, it touches all of me. To be a Christian isn't something I do for an hour and a half on Sunday. I mean, you're probably quite pleased. I'm your pastor. But it affects all of me. But it's the same for you as well. It's the same for you. You cannot carry on walking in darkness if you say you have fellowship with God. The third thing I notice is this, though, and it's nearly like two sides of the same coin. The first side is you cannot continue in sin. No? What was the first one? You can't, con- yeah, you can't continue in sin. But the, the, the next thing that John says is, actually, though, although you cannot continue in sin, we all still sin. And he's very, very clear on that. We all still sin. And he shows that in two verses, in verses 8 and 10. 
In verse 8 he says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, as Christians we are particularly good at looking down our row or looking across the sofa when we're judging our own moral goodness. You know, if, if, I'm, if I want to judge how I'm doing morally, if I want to judge how holy I am, my preference is to look at another person rather than look at God. But John is very, very clear that when we want to see how we're doing, we don't look at other Christians. We don't have this air of superiority as we're searching out someone who isn't doing quite as well as we are. But we look to God who dwells in unapproachable light. He's like the ultraviolet light of Christianity. I don't know if any of you have ever seen these sort of detective shows where they're looking for evidence and, and, and they go into this bathroom where this murder is supposed to have happened and, 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 and it's spotless. You can't see any evidence at all. You get the ultraviolet light out and suddenly you see where all the blood splatters are and all of this. And say, evidence is there. We... we, we When we're looking at ourselves and our inward, our, our, our inward lives, when we're judging how we're doing in our faith and um, how we're doing in our walk with God, we need to come under the gaze of the unapproachable light, our Jesus, our ultraviolet light. doesn't just look at our outward actions. He looks at the very thoughts and motives of our heart. And I've found that the more I've walked on with Jesus and the closer I've walked with him, the more aware I have become of internal corruption in my own body. Wrong motives, the wrong things I've said where I've been irritable with the children, not because I've done anything wrong, just because I'm in a grumpy mood. The closer I walk to Jesus and the ultraviolet light of his presence, the more aware I am of my need of a saviour. And I, you know, I don't mean to be hard, but if you think you're doing really, really well, if you think if only every other Christian would sort themselves out and we'd be all alright, up to my level, you might not be walking close enough to the ultraviolet light of Jesus Christ. Because when you walk with him, he loves you, he's totally for you. But he loves you too much to leave you as you are. And as he shines his light upon your soul, upon your words, upon your thoughts, upon your actions, and you actually see it's not quite as good as you thought it was, he also provides a way out, which we're going to see. He goes on and says in verse 10, if we say we've not sinned, we make him out a liar and his word is not in us. So if we say we have not sinned, if we say, actually, I'm, I'm pretty all right, you know. A bit of pride growing in there. John repeats himself. He adds more weight and he says, not only are you deceiving yourself, but you're actually saying that God's a liar. I think the greatest offence in this passage isn't, isn't as in blatant out, out their sins. The biggest problem isn't that. Jesus forgives those. 
the thing that seems to cause more problems in this Bible passage is pride and self-righteousness and believing you have no need of a saviour. Whether that's because once you confess Christ and actually, I don't know the last time I confessed sin, I don't know the last time I asked for forgiveness as a Christian. For me it was yesterday and it would have probably been today if I hadn't been so busy. And it's not a heavy thing. It's a releasing thing, it's a freeing thing, it's a wonderful thing. Church, do guard against superiority. Do guard against judgmentalism. Do not not fall into the trap that many churches can do, not intentionally, that they think there's these gross, unforgivable sins on the one hand, but then on the other hand there's a whole load of sins that, hey, they're not so bad, so we'll overlook them. We all need a saviour. This has got truth to change life wherever you're at, whatever position, whatever you've done. just need to come humbly. When we come across the woman that was caught in adultery, Jesus makes that very, very clear. He doesn't say that what the woman did was all right. No, he said, no, go leave your life a sin. But he also revealed to all the people that were bringing the charge that they were as much sinners as she was. They were in much need of a saviour as she was. Let us be a church that is compassionate and merciful because we know that we have been forgiven much ourselves. And you may not struggle with the same sin as your neighbour does, but you struggle. You need a saviour. I need a saviour. The fourth thing. So how do I approach God? How do I approach this God who is in unapproachable light? How do I come before him? Well, John's very clear. He says, walk in the light. It says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as, he's, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is a wonderful, totally wonderful and glorious promise that is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross. The promise is as good today as it was then. The reason I can come into the unapproachable light of God is not because I have wiped myself down or cleaned myself up or decided to try a little bit harder, but it's because I have thrown myself on the mercy of Jesus Christ that I know that his blood is sufficient to cleanse me from all my sin. That is where I find my forgiveness. That is where I find my hope of redemption. That is where I find the cleansing from the pollution of sin is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And what happened 2,000 years ago is as effective today for you as it was when it happened. If you choose to access it. If you choose to plead for God's grace. Sin in thought, sin in word, sin in action, all forgiven at the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no place for self-righteousness, no place for self-sufficiency, no place for glibness or mockery. We are all in need of a saviour. This is life, this is death, dependent on how you receive this message. This isn't my message made up, it's a message contained within the Bible. 
and what you do with this message, what you do with the cross of Jesus Christ, will have a direct impact on what happens to you for eternity. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even the shame and the weight and the guilt is not just a forgiveness. It's not just I get forgiven of these things. It says that the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to cleanse me, to wash me, so that although my life was like crimson, now it is as white as snow without stain. Why? Not because I'm trying but because it's a free gift, the mercy of Jesus Christ. That is why he came. His righteousness into my account. It is wonderful promise. From the vilest to the smallest things that I have ever done, the things that have stained my conscience, the things that I cannot forget, to even things that you are not aware of, Jesus' blood cleanses you from all of them. And then point five, my favourite, my favourite verses in what we're looking at today. We find here this precious promise of forgiveness. He says this, my little children. I mean, what beautiful ways that, words that John starts with. He, he just says it in there. He just says, look, my, my little children. He's talking to the church there. Such affection. I am writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin includes us all. As Christians, we still mess it up. There's no one sinlessly perfect. This side of eternity, you will not get there. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate is someone who speaks on my behalf, speaks on your behalf. It's when you don't have the words, you don't have the arguments, you don't have a way out, but you have an advocate. You, you employ an advocate. You bring an advocate in who can act on your behalf. I can't get myself out, myself out of this. I need an advocate. Jesus Christ. And I love it. I love what he says. He says, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's who he is. He is the righteous one. And he is my advocate. And he speaks on my behalf. With, with, when I mess things up, when I don't get things right, have an advocate. I come with a confidence. I come with a boldness. I come with a certainty because I don't even need to find the words. I've got one who speaks for me. But he's not, he's not just one who speaks for me. He's one who has acted for me as well. He has done it. He has sorted my problem out. Yes, he speaks to the Father on my, my behalf, but he's also, and you may have not have come across this word before, he is my propitiation. He's a propitiation for my sin. That means that he has carried my sin on his body. The punishment that I should have taken, he took instead from me. He took the wrath of God that I would not, and what I get in its place is the favour of God. He is my propitiation for sin. He is the one that has stood in my place. I am now guiltless. I am free from it. Jesus Christ has totally, completely, victoriously taken it from me, I am now free. How do I enter? How do I enter into the place where God dwells in unapproachable light? I enter by the blood of Jesus Christ because he's my advocate, because he's the propitiation for my sin. He's dealt with it. 
is done. It is done. If you are a Christian here today, that means you've given your life to him. He's Lord of your life. And you've not just made a commitment. You've given your life. You've counted the cost. You're following him. You have one who speaks to the Father on your behalf. He is my guarantee of salvation. All of Christ, none of me, all I bring to the party is my muck, my sin, and he loves me. Gets even better, we heard last week, didn't we? He's my father, now I've been adopted into his family. So the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who you cannot approach because of this unapproachable light, is now my father in heaven, who I come before with absolute freedom and confidence because of the finished work of Jesus. This is such wonderful, glorious news. It is, as you said, Rose, it is the best news. In this passage, we see the problem of sin. John does not try and sweep it under the carpet. He states it as it is. But he says, we have one. We have one we can rely on. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sin and cleanse us from all, all, absolutely all unrighteousness. It is such wonderful, wonderful hope. The main problem expressed in this passage is not the size of my sin. It's when I do not come humbly before him stating my need of a saviour. It's when I say I have no sin, I have no need of a saviour. That appears, if I can be reverent to God in this, that appears to cause, cause God more problems than any sin that I can commit. It is sin in itself. When I look down on others, we need to confess those as well. We need the grace of God to come flood into our lives. Why don't we stand? Jeanette, could you come back up, please? What we're going to do is we're going to sing an amazing song together, which, to be honest, we could have sung and I wouldn't have needed to preach. But Jeanette couldn't persuade me that was the right thing to do, so I preached but this is just a great opportunity now just to give it all back to God in worship. I don't know about you, but when I think about these things, it causes me just to want to worship God, thank him for his faithfulness and his goodness to me. So what we're going to do is we're going to do that. If, if even as I've been preaching, you're just aware of areas of your life that aren't lining up, they're, they're darkness, and you've just been carrying them along in your Christian life, this is a great opportunity for you to sort them out. Come with humility. Come in repentance. We have one who's so quick to forgive. So we're just going to come, use this as an opportunity to connect with God. And then I've just got one last thing I'm going to ask you to do um, as we close.